Another summer. Hey, how are you guys doing out there? Sound of a funky drummer. Anyways, uh, besides quoting some public enemy, I just want to invite you guys to the Super Saturday edition of Wrestling Geeks Alliance, where me and my amazing co-host brother, Christopher A. Patton, just break down the wrestling of this last week, and we have a lot to talk about. So I shouldn't ramble too much. Uh, If you guys are new listeners, thank you for tuning in. Check out our website uh, for the overhaul of all the stuff with Geek Vibes Nation at geekvibesnation.com. There you can find articles to all of our news uh, related to wrestling and, and comic books, comic book movies. We cover a lot of different stuff and also links to our social media platforms at Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, all at Geek Vibes Nation. And also uh, all of our listening options. If you want to listen to us live, it's on Blog Talk which if you're a live listener, that's exactly what you're doing. And if not, you can listen to us on Spotify, SoundCloud, uh, Snapchat even. I, I don't know if that's true or not, but iTunes, all the, uh, the big ones. Um, and, uh, yeah, thank you guys for listening. Anyways, let's get to this stuff. I want to introduce my wonderful, brilliant partner, my uh, Burt Ward to my Adam West, or maybe it's reverse, actually, because it keeps me in line. Uh, how are you doing, Christopher? What is my password to MySpace again? <laughs> Do you know? Can you say that over there? <laughs> <laughs> I actually, yeah. I, I wonder if even I have a MySpace or if it dissolved, kind of like, you know, into the ether. Uh, anyways, let's uh, let's start this off, dude. Before we go into the uh, New Japan pay-per-view, um, I wanted to go over some of the topics uh, around it, if you will. We'll kind of put it as all as an overhaul, but we'll discuss it. Uh, main thing, uh, basically due to the typhoon, so damn good reasoning, Zack Sabre Jr. and John Moxley weren't able to make uh, their the New Japan pay-per-view. So because of this, IWGP United States Championship was stripped off of John Moxley. So um, that's something that they normally do in situations like this. It's actually – it makes a lot of sense if you can't come and uh, do anything about it. Uh, they had kind of a match that I wasn't too up on compared to some of the other matches on the card instead to get the new U.S. championship. But uh, John Moxley's still supposed to be doing matches or at least doing stuff uh, ending after – I think right, right during uh, Wrestle Kingdom. So there's a good chance they're going to use that. I would assume they would. But, uh, Chris – uh, you hear about this. Um, what do you have to say? So I, I thought that uh, that that he had already lost. He had already dropped the belt. Am I mistaken on that? Yes. Okay, because I thought he had dropped the belt to. Um, oh man, sorry. But it makes sense if it, if it's more than uh, thirty days with New Japan and most or thirty or sixty days, which would be the last time he was able to perform because he had MRSA. Uh, they usually strip the title, so that actually makes sense in pretty much everything except for WWE. So uh, well, I had absolutely 
didn't have a problem with that. Well, yeah, this was because of uh, Typhoon Hagabus. He was supposed to, he was on the card to go against Juice Robinson for the third time. This was their blow-off match, and he couldn't because of the Typhoon. Same thing with uh, Zack Sabre Jr., who was supposed to be on the card. For whatever reason, I thought Juice had won the title, but I guess not. All right, and then the other big uh, item of news uh, was uh, Stardom um, has been purchased by the parent company of New Japan, uh, uh, Bushi Road. Okay, I was about to say that completely wrong, and then I realized how to. Anyways, but that is actually a big deal. I think that's awesome. I don't know if they're going to interweave a women's division with the stars of Stardom into or if they're just going to, you know, that's going to be their women's wrestling by itself. They could do a combination of both, but this is a pretty uh, pretty big deal over in Japan. Um, what did you think about this news, Chris? I think it's a great acquisition, and I heard that uh, there was multiple offers going back all the way to February, right? Um, WWE offered a big offer, and I heard uh, – I can't, can't think of the guy's name right now that runs Stardom, but he was uh, very heavily involved with All Japan in the 90s. Um, for whatever reason, I can't think of his name. I'm so sorry. Um but he he had specific, according to Dave Meltzer and some other resources, uh, he had asked specifically like, what are your plans for Stardom? And WWE didn't have an answer, so they didn't sell. And then it uh, the price rose a little bit, and Bushiro ended up getting it. And they put it in the same segment as their kickboxing, if I'm not mistaken. So it's not it's not under the same branch as New Japan, and they're not gonna like put stardom in with new japan but the idea is to uh from what i can tell the idea is to try to broaden stardom to a bigger audience with uh more female fans and try to get it back to what it was in like the 90s uh or maybe even the 80s with uh female wrestling in japan which i think is awesome i think that's a very cool idea and uh the fact that like the female stars that work there are going to be actually under contract uh, so you don't have to worry about them getting stolen away from bigger companies is probably going to be really good for, you know, the stardom performers and uh, the booking there. Yeah. What do you think is a percentage, even if they keep stardom, obviously as its own thing with their own events, maybe if not this year, uh, the year after having a female championship match at something like a wrestle kingdom. I just think the audience is so different in Japan that, like, you know, the New Japan audience doesn't really care as much about female wrestling. I don't want to say that, but I just think they're very different things. Uh, there's, like, 16 female promotions uh, that are smaller than Stardom, uh, and there's – you know, they could have done this for a long period of time, but New Japan's never really been about female wrestling. And I, I feel like they're just like, this is the traditional um, – big boy, I hate to say that, but big boy asshole version of wrestling and female wrestling is kind of over here uh, on its own thing. It'd be really cool to see New Japan integrate, but it would also just be really cool to see Stardom kind of strive on its own and do really well in Japan uh, like all Japan uh, female wrestling did in the early 90s, you know? So it, it's a it's it's just different because I think it's culturally different and I think the way people watch New Japan um, and the fans of New Japan just treat that product completely different, you know? It, it's almost like uh, how female wrestling was treated in WWE, except without all the bra and painting matches. They just, they just don't do it. 
as bad as that sounds, but that's kind of what I've always taken New Japan for because they could have easily jumped on this bandwagon a long time ago and they didn't, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the one bit of news that's not really New Japan related, but in the same ballpark before we go into um, the event itself, very interesting. Dave Metzler reported that uh, WWE tried to buy Pro Wrestling Noah to start NXT Japan. Um, that's not like crazy at all to, to find out that they tried to make an acquisition on it. I'm just wondering, you know, if that, that is kind of confirming that the next location that WWE is trying to go into with their NXT uh, global localization concept. Um, and if, you know, them trying to purchase them aside, or if this is going to be a situation like ICW in progress, where they're going to try to work with Pro Wrestling Noah and try to swap talent, um, or if this was just rubbing people the wrong way in general with them trying to buy it. I don't know. Chris, what did you think about this? So the weird thing is, from from what I've heard and what I've read, it seems like that all fell through almost with the stardom deal. Like it was a almost like a combined deal or something they were trying to get done at the same time, and they couldn't get it done. Uh, but, you know, WWE is big enough they can just start their own wrestling company and get whatever talent they want, as we've seen with them taking, like, Asuka and Io Shirai and uh, Kerry Zane. I mean, those were all huge stars in stardom that they just kind of stole. So, I mean, if they want to go over and start a federation, they're going to do it. Pro Wrestling Noah, you get the namesake, and that would make a lot of sense. But it seems like that uh, they tried that. It didn't work out. And um, they tried stardom, and it didn't work out. And I don't, I don't think that's necessarily a slight on WWE as much of a, a, a money move. And also, the you know, maybe even the owners of those companies looking out for their talent a little bit. Because once you sell it to WWE, it's, it's kind of gone forever, right? So, like, Stardom specifically, with the Stardom uh, dojo and, and kind of how they built those athletes. And kind of, I mean, they, they did kind of get robbed of talent by WWE and NXT and then had to go watch, you know, what they're doing with Kerry Zane and Asuka. Um, Even Tony it's, Storm. It's a, yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird scenario, right? So... I think you have to take that into account, and um, I mean, I'm sure the the dollar value was high enough. It, it obviously just didn't work out, and I would assume that uh, if I'm thinking WWE plans are going to do this, if you can get Stardom and Pro Wrestling Noah and just combine the two into one thing in Japan, that makes a lot of sense. That would be what I would think they would be doing business move because they were both they were making those offers at the same time. Yep. It's uh, just interesting, um, you know, that we potentially could have a uh, NXT Japan show uh, coming up. And also now with what it seems like they're doing with this global localization is taking their stars that they're making over in these smaller versions of NXT and taking them back to the main NXT hub and using them when they want for storylines. It seems like Triple H is kind of, doing that right now with some of the NXT UK guys, and he's already said that they'll be in waves where he'll bring them in, have them part of storyline, then bring another person in. He's doing that with the 205 Live guys. Um, it just, his his way, and even WWE uh, related with Finn Balor, you know, 
I, maybe Finn will go back up and he'll take someone else to have a run or something like that. I don't know. But uh, it's interesting, and I like seeing NXT flourish. Um, well, more so than I like seeing WWE flourish with their main stuff. But we'll get to that. I want to start getting into this pay-per-view. Just with just one comment before we go, uh, I will say I I do think WWE is going to go to Japan. The big thing is buying that tape library, right? So where you're going to yeah. own all of Pro Wrestling Noah and all of Stardom's tape library? That's the big thing that you would be trying to accomplish because anywhere that WWE wants to start a wrestling federation, they're going to start a wrestling federation, and people are going to go there because there's going to be money there. So um, I I still do think that you're probably going to get a form of New Japan with uh, or, or uh, an NXT Japan with Japanese wrestlers that we're familiar with. It's just, it you know, under those namesakes, you're not going to necessarily see those on the network. I mean, Pro Wrestling Noah has been around for a while, so that's a pretty big tape yeah. library. So it would have been a decent purchase, to say the least. Is that – actually, I should probably look up that information myself. Maybe you know offhand. Is Pro Wrestling Noah the smaller company that Misawa – created and uh was his big thing or is that another one that I can't think of the name of? Honestly, those companies split so like all Japan and Japan switched so hard and there was a lot of subsets of those that I don't want to come off like an asshole and say the wrong thing, but I think you're correct on that. Um with Sala kind of splitting off between Noah. Um but once again that's so hard because you had a bunch of people jumping ship. Um, yeah, the late '90s. So I, that's one of those things I would have to Wikipedia to be 100 percent sure as an, an American fan who tape traded Japanese tapes. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, Dave Metzler's yelling at us somewhere. Like, how do you guys not know that information? It's it's out there, you know. <laughs> um, but uh, let's let's move. I think it's for wrestling. No, just because I'm almost positive I saw Masawa have some matches with Samoa Joe on that format. But like both of us, we don't want to look like. Uh, uh, jerks. So let's move on to New Japan. Something that you know, Chris, watching this pay-per-view, watching a lot of the matches, I very much miss this promotion. And uh, it, you know, every time that you watch an event from New Japan, uh, like King of Pro Wrestling's 2019, you kind of it just has a certain thing about it. I love I love the wrestling, and that's my favorite thing within pro wrestling, which. Sometimes I feel weird for with the modern audience, but what are you going to fucking do? Uh, I'm going to be honest with you guys. The first three tag matches, um, you know, I watched everything, and I just don't think that it's enough to cover. It was cool seeing El Desperado back from his injury. He hasn't wrestled since May. He had a match at the beginning of it. Um I'm trying to think of, like, then we had another tag match. The biggest thing was LIJ with Naito and Takagi um, defeated Suzuki Gun, but kind of got taken out afterwards. And Taichi is now starting up a rivalry with Naito. So that that th- those are all cool things. Go back, watch the whole pay-per-view if you'd like. I want to start talking about this next match because I think it might be the most importantly uh, and, and just well-storytelling match on the card uh, and not the craziest wrestling. It doesn't really have to be in certain lights. You know, I think that Cody's matches, you don't have to have a bunch of crazy stuff happening to make it compelling. And Minoru Suzuki won against Jushin Thunder Liger. It was Battle Liger, which it's really cool to see that uh, Jushin Liger has, like, these different evolutions of himself, like the Keshin Liger that he brought out, uh, that kind of, you know, he's brought out against Muda and, and has to bring out against Suzuki to intimidate them. 
the battle liger, who is basically what he goes against. Getting a lot of stuff, uh, uh, feedback, buddy, in the background, just by the way. Um, How about now? Sorry about that. Better? Yeah, a little bit better. Um, Okay. uh, Yeah, so basically, this match was badass, uh, back and forth. Uh, Liger really targeted Suzuki's arms uh, so that when he applied the sleeper hold, he couldn't get a full lock, basically. Um, it just, just, just really incredible stuff. Uh, I think it was like at least, I'm going to say like 20 minutes, um, but he continued to just nail uh, Liger. Um, but then at the end of it, which really was uh, the best part, I think, he uh, hit... Um, or he won against Liger, I should say, Suzuki did. And then we thought that he was going to go take a chair and just start destroying him, but he actually put the chair to the side and came down and bowed to him. And you could see that he was actually really emotional. Like, this is going to be Liger's last run after after Wrestle Kingdom he's done. Kevin Kelly said that it's not something where he thinks that a wrestler is going to come back. This is going to be it for Liger. And uh, Minoru Suzuki came up to him and said, thank you, and then walked off. So it was kind of a big deal to the Japanese audience and any audience members to see Minoru Suzuki a bit vulnerable, especially after their, you know, their their feud as of lately uh, going back and forth. I don't know if the last match that Liger's going to have is going to be against Suzuki. I would love to see Keshin Liger literally against Suzuki, but it seems to be more of a gimmick where he brings it out at the end of the match to kind of like, show how crazy he is. So I'm not 100% sure, but I really appreciate both of these guys. Uh, I like knowing details about Pinkris. I didn't realize that they, they fought each other in that. I know that's the uh, the other promotion in uh, Japan uh, outside of Pride that uh, Noah Suzuki actually started uh, that was actual uh, MMA. So it's kind of cool that they interwove that. These guys obviously have a lot of respect for each other. But this was actually... I think might have been my favorite match on the card. Chris, how do you feel about Minoru Suzuki and Jushin Thunder Liger? Actually, it, was, it probably was my favorite match on the card uh, as well, just because of the storytelling. Like you said, I, I thought it was really, really well done. Um, it kind of always seems like every match Justin Thunder Liger has is going to be his last match, but we've been hearing about this for a year and a half. So I kind of just yeah. wanted it to happen point but I want it to be like something super awesome so that's the only thing I would say is like I'm like, is this the last one but it can't be the last one it's you know because we know it's going to go to Wrestle Kingdom um, but yeah in my mind that's the only downfall is in my mind I'm like is this the last one it's like kind of watch it's like watching an Undertaker match it's like is this one the last one um, yep but you know what if Justin Thunderliger wrestles for the next 15 years after this I could care less because at least they're telling me a good storyline. It's entertaining wrestling. It's not. It's New Japan, but it's very different. New Japan, you know what I mean. Um, and I, I thought it was a very hard hitting match. And you got to see all the great Jushin Thunder Liger moments and and Suzuki just beating the shit out of Jushin like you would expect. So I, I really love this. I don't necessarily know it's for everyone, especially if you've been watching a lot of uh, MLW or AEW or you know a lot a lot of high spot matches, um, but it was a really great, like you said, I like if you, you go back to some of those Cody Rhodes matches where it's just a good storytelling match, I, I really appreciated it for what it was. Yeah, and, and you know, I think that continues with the card because this next match 
you know, I I haven't been able to pay attention as much uh, to New Japan as much as I'd like to, just because of all the other content out there. But they've been building El Fantasmo as uh, a monster within um, the uh, IWGP Junior Heavyweight Division, opposing Will Ospreay. And the presentation of the, uh, I think that the New Japan does a good job of being able to keep the audience, even if they take breaks, up to date with their packages right beforehand. Something that I swear to God, WWE used to utilize a lot more. Um, and AEW <laughs> does a good job of, uh, you know, too. But th- these guys, uh, Will Ospreay and El Fantasmo, they had a great rivalry-based match. It seems like El Fantasmo is the only blemish, or I should say was the only blemish on Will Ospreay's record. And El Fantasmo has a cruiserweight title in, in, in some certain other federation. I forgot which one it was. And he's half of the uh, IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Champions with, um, I can't remember his name, Takahashi. No, not Takahashi, um, Ishimori, I'm sorry, as part of Bullet Club. And uh, the whole story going into this is El Fantasmo has promised Will Ospreay that he is going to give up his ways of being such a, a dastardly heel and give him a straight match. And Will Ospreay has... Uh, Rob, Robbie Eagles in his corner. El Fantasmo has uh, Ishimori in his corner. And to prove stuff, El Fantasmo throughout the match is trying to, you know, he gets rid of Ishimori, which convinces uh, Will Ospreay to get rid of Robbie Eagles, so it's just the two of them. And then right in the middle of the match, super heel, turns it up, um, and he's beaten Osprey in the past, but inevitably Will Ospreay one, I will say, I forgot that elbow to the back of the head, but my God, that's hard to fucking watch. Uh, he just nailed the shit out of uh, El Fantasmo. Uh, maybe, they're, maybe they're selling it really well, and I'm just not seeing a lack of connection, but uh, just a really impressive match. Yeah, they go so fast, it gets off a little bit choreographed, but it kind of is like a John Woo film where it's almost fluid enough where if they were that fast and that good at martial arts, it could happen, so that type of stuff never bothers me. It's not silly, and when they slow it down, they slow it down. I think Will Ospreay continues to be one of the best up-and-coming wrestlers in New Japan. I thought this match was awesome. Uh, Will Ospreay beat El Fantasmo, uh, almost a 30-minute match, and is still the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion. And this is a really good match for me to start liking Fantasmo. Uh, he had shades of uh, X-Pac uh, to him. Where it's funny because I've compared Will Ospreay to one, two, three kid because of how young he is within his division of wrestlers and shit like that. But Fantasmo, he just was cocky when he turned on that heel, you know, just going off the audience and pissing them off and and grabbing an Lij shirt from someone and throwing it on the ground. Like it was, it was good stuff. I really enjoyed it. Uh, they beat the living hell out of each other like normal. Will Ospreay, my God, uh, I'm glad they didn't do anything too crazy, Chris. What did you think about this match? So not my favorite Will Ospreay match, but I, I agree with you. I thought it was a really fun match to watch for sure. And there was definitely – it got – to me it got a little too Will Ospreay, like Ricochet, a little far out there in comparison to what he's done in the past. Um, but just that being said, I don't think any wrestler, a single wrestler, has had a better year than Will Ospreay has had this year. Like he's had some absolutely fucking incredible matches. Um, I, I guess if you're looking at it from the American side, maybe Adam Cole uh, would be the only person I would put in the same realm of those kind of matches. Uh, but this one just yep. didn't really do it for me. I like Phantasmo a lot, and uh, I 
I assume this feud is going to go forward, so it's going to be interesting to see what they do. But uh, this, I mean, this just wasn't like – it's Will Osprey, so my level is set super high. You know what I mean? So it's kind of one Absolutely. of those weird – it's like watching a, a, you know, a very good Shawn Michaels match, but then you know there's a better Shawn Michaels match. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Holding someone high up their standards, I completely get. You know, and I mean, there's – that's nothing against either person. I mean, there's better Okada matches out there than some of the ones that he has, or even on this card with Sonata. So, you know, it just says that that person we expect a lot of, like you said. Uh, the next few matches, I say, I'm just going to kind of lump in there. Uh, they were fine. Uh, just more or less uh, with this first one, creating storyline going forward. But they had Chaos going against Bullet Club. Rookie Goto, which I guess he's in situation with Jay White. I didn't even realize that Jay White is now the Intercontinental Champion. Uh, and then Kenta and Ishii, they're battling with Kenta being also something I did not know. Kenta being the never open weight champion. Uh, and then Yoshihashi and uh, Takahashi apparently are feuding, so this made sense. Uh, inevitably, Chaos won, but Bullet Club just was Bullet Club and beat the shit out of everyone. I'm not going to say that Bullet Club's irrelevant in Japan. I just think that it's kind of not it's not what it was. Um, it really isn't. But I am looking forward to seeing Kenta and Ishii uh, for the open weight title. Jay White and Goto honestly doesn't um, intrigue me as much. And Yoshihashi is just being held by tape. Like, I think his body is going to literally fall apart. So I would worry about that. And then we had the IWGP US, uh, uh, US Heavyweight Champion determination match, and Lance Archer destroyed Luce, uh, Juice Robinson. I mean, it was... It was brutal. And at one point, I don't even know if this is a fucking hardcore match. And, um, you know, at one point there was just chairs all over the, uh, the ring and, you know, Lance Archer does this. It's kind of like the outsider's edge, but the person's the other way and just in completely destroyed juice. Uh, wasn't much. And so Lance Archer is your new U S heavyweight champion. He's scary. Stuff like that. Chris, what do you think about these two matches? Well, I really like the Lance Archer match because I feel like they've been building him for a while, especially if you go back to D1. Um, they kind of booked him strong, at least in America. Um, and it seems like maybe they're going to give Juice a push out of outside of that division, which could be good. Um, and the Bullet Club match, it, it was a storyline match. I, I thought it was fine for what it is. I, I'm honestly kind of stale on the Bullet Club outside of Kenta. Um, yeah, me too. I, I feel like they need to br- – and I hate to say this, but them having like the American asshole as part of the Bullet Club has always worked. And I don't know necessarily who you bring in to do that. I think there's plenty of people to bring in to do that. Like maybe even the Briscoes would be a good choice since you have a working relationship with Ring of Honor. Um just, I mean, think of like uh, Anderson and Gallows, right? Like they were technically the leaders of the Bullet Club, even though AJ Styles were, was there. You know, so you could pivot it around someone else. But I, I feel like they need to bring someone else in to freshen that up. I like Jay White a lot. I know a lot of people. Uh, I, I I don't know why people dislike him so much. I, he's not bad in the ring. Maybe it's just the way he looks, or. Do you get that feeling from, like, when you hear people talk about Jay White, where it's like... Oh, yeah. I I think it's because he has a, a bit of a baby face, which is, you know, it doesn't sound... I guess 
come off maybe as convincing that he's so dastardly, but I think that's the reason why he grew out a beard, essentially. But I think Jay White's a very – he's a fucking great heel. Actually, I would put him in my top ten right now within wrestling uh, just from – he can piss off the audience. Uh, I know that he's better in the ring, Chris, but I think it's a lot of the similar stuff that we say about Baron Corbin. It's like people don't understanding that they're heels, so they're they're not supposed to be liked. But I don't think that's against their performance, you know? I think that's unfortunate for Jay White because people will draw that comparison, even though they're completely different. But they do kind of have that same – I mean, when Baron Corbin first came out, they kind of have the same look. Um, but the way I always treated Jay White as a heel is kind of like – I don't know if this is what he's going for, but Johnny Depp from Crybaby as a wrestler. I as could a see that. Wrestler, uh, I thought that's what he was kind of always going for. I mean, obviously, but um, – He's had some really – I mean, as far as his in-ring work as a heel goes, it's really good. They just haven't done anything to really get him there. I don't know what you could actually do outside of him, like, stabbing Okada 75 times or Tanahashi or something with an actual switchblade. I don't I don't know how they can try to get the guy over more, but he. it seems like fans are always on the fence with – whether they like him or not. And I think he puts on really good matches. It's kind of unfortunate because he works his fucking ass off every time I've seen him, you know, in the past, um, I don't know, six New Japan pay-per-views I've watched. He, he he always seems like he puts out a really good effort. The storyline's never bad. It's just like the crowd doesn't connect with him. Yeah, I know. I agree. And uh, there was a lot of tomfoolery in this match. I think that was obviously meant to be like that. Uh, just... Just going also into, I think certain things happen with this match, and um, uh, definitely happened. Oh, it was a no DQ match. Okay, well that's why they went as crazy. One thing I wanted to mention because I forgot to with Minoru Suzuki, uh, Chris. I, I make a criticism, or one of my criticisms, one of my only criticisms for AEW that we've both talked about is blatant stuff in front of the referee. You know, and where I give, and I'm going to try to explain why I give New Japan the pass a lot of times, because obviously Minoru Suzuki shouldn't get away with nailing Jushin Liger with a chair throughout their match, and I get that, but they positioned within their wrestling that the referee um, a lot of time is gullible, a lot of time is easy, easily bullied and positioned like that, even Red Shoes. And, you know, they work off that throughout the thing, like whether or not they bully them so they can't see something or the person, you know, the referee's chasing them around to try to tell them to get back in the ring and give them a lot of leeway. It just, American referees are always like football referees, like they're in your face. Um, and that, that's a normal concept. And sometimes instead of like trying to explain it or have had something built, AEW kind of positions it where it's right in front of the fucking referee. They're looking right at it, and they still let it slide. So that's not not for AEW. I, I just wanted to, I, I have that in my head, and I wanted to remember it uh, because, like I said, I've been critical with that one aspect. But do you know what I'm saying at all when it comes down to that? Yeah, I mean, just tell us what the match is. That's my big problem with AEW. If it's a no DQ match, tell us it's a no DQ match uh, right off the bat. They did that with the three way match, and I was like, oh, so it's WWE rules immediately because not every three way three way match is a a DQ match, you know what I mean? Or a no DQ match. You can still have a three-way match with rules, um, technically. I mean, it'd be kind of boring, but you could do it. 
Um, they don't. They haven't done a good job of doing that. Now, what I will say is, when you're talking about like the ref getting, um, let's say, afraid uh, <laughs> to get murdered by two people, I thought AEW did a good job this week on that, and we'll talk about that match a little later, uh, where the ref just wholesale bailed out of the ring, and you had Pac come in and be like, "What the hell are you doing?" Um, with the yeah. athlete. So maybe maybe they are trying to build to that. But that's, I mean, with Red Shoes and, and the New Japan referees, it's just such a love from the fans and watching them go and go and go and go forever. Um, there's a little bit more respect and leeway, I guess. You know what I mean? It's the same thing as, like, if, if Earl Hibner takes a, a shitty bump or something, you're like, well, it's Earl Hibner. Like, uh, we fucking love him. <laughs> or, like, if JR Yeah, exactly. Along, we're like, yeah, it's JR. Well, that's not true. That's not true. <laughs> fucking well, and Jr. I mean, fucking even said something about that shit. But we'll get that that down to that when we get to AEW because I have a whole article about Jr.'s quotes from the latest episode that he had with uh, I, Conrad Thompson. I I have something about Beth Phoenix, which is this is going to be great, but <laughs> it should be fun nonetheless. Um, but yeah, no, I agree with you, but I think at least, you know, pointing that out, I think that they realized that in AEW and, um, I kind of saw it on that episode. It's just, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I think they are trying to instill like, holy shit, if I don't get out of here, these people might kill me. Um, which is what referees should be, you know, I, I as much as I love Audrey Edwards, like, is she really going to get in Chris Jericho's face? Cause he's a madman. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, we're 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 uh, we're going a little bit uh, uh, into it right now, so let's let's get back on track yep. and finish this New Japan pay per view. We had the IWGP. Um, wait, wait a minute. What? Oh no, the challenge for the title between Kota Ibushi, who has a briefcase, obviously from the G1 tournament, going against Evil. The whole story of this match was. Kota Bushi would make it an inch, and then fucking Evil would destroy him for fucking a long period of time. And Kota Bushi would like get a couple things in, and then a, just the 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 rug would be taken out from underneath him. And it was great, but at the same time, even though Kota was getting destroyed a bit, it was wearing down Evil, and then Evil was able to get taken out inevitably um, with the Kamagoye, uh, two of them. It, it took to take him out. So, Kota Bushi remains as the IWGP uh, heavyweight uh, contender, and he will be going to Wrestle Kingdom for what would be whoever wins between Sonata and Okada next. Uh, but he's also saying that he wants that because it's two nights on Wrestle Kingdom, and he wants the Intercontinental title. He, wa- he wants to be Kota Two Belts is what I'm naming it. Chris, what did you think about this Intercontinental title match between Kota Ibushi and Evil? Kota Ibushi is absolutely amazing, and I love Evil, and I thought it was a really, really good match. Very fun to watch. Um, the The title scenario itself is a little weird, just because I thought NATO was going to take that briefcase, and I thought that was that's where they were going. But once again, Gato's like, no, nah, you don't know where we're going. We're going to do whatever we want. It's going to be Seriously. awesome. Seriously. <laughs> I'm like, all right, you got me, Gato. Um, I think they could still do that. If he has to put his briefcase up against NATO, you could still have NATO beat Abushi. Uh, because um, I do think that is the end game for that Russell Kingdom match is Abushi versus NATO. Uh, hopefully they don't kill each other. 
and um, maybe Okada night two versus whoever that champion is. So I don't know how they get there, but I do think that's where they're headed. And I really did like this match a lot. And Evil's very underrated. People don't talk about him enough. I think he's fucking awesome. Like, we were talking about mystical characters in AEW, and I was like, fucking Evil. Can we get him, please? With that giant scythe? That'd be awesome. Oh, I, that's that's one thing I was going to ask you is uh, I think Evil is awesome. I think he's very underrated. And he's he's uh, he's stout, but he's not too tall. But he kind of reminds me of certain wrestlers like Rhino or Taz with that thing where it's like, I mean, he's a little bit bigger, but he completely legitimate brick shithouse, basically. But I feel like with him specifically, his entrance look is awesome. I feel like that he could do some things to make himself look a bit more intimidating uh, with his normal look inside the ring. I feel like he looks like a Ganon soldier from fucking uh, Legend of Zelda, the original. Uh, I, I just, I just feel like he could wear certain things, even Sonata, like change up their look and make them a bit more dastardly. Like they were when I first started watching new Japan a couple of years back where they were much more aggressive and Naito also, maybe they're all falling from grace. Obviously with Sonata losing to Okada, evil now losing to Kota Bushi and Naito has looks like he's not even in the intercontinental uh, title scene. So that's a cool storyline, but I'd like to see them come back swinging fucking punches next year. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe just like, like I said, just re look them a little bit more, especially evil. Am I crazy for thinking that? No. And I, I, you know what I think plays a big part in it is it, we're, we're tired of LIJ and we're tired of bully club just as a faction, at least in the current iteration um, we need a hard change for both of those, and those characters have kind of became stale. Like the singlet, you're right. Like Evil comes out with this awesome ass gimmick, giant scythe originally, and now it's just re- like relegated to him wearing eyeliner, essentially, <laughs> and just showing up. Um, but to me, it's just that the, the you know Lij and Bullet Club are kind of stale. I don't necessarily know that they need that many factions, but also I'm not the one to question Gato. But his best stuff yes. is not around the factions. Like the, uh, to me this has always been my thing with New Japan is like it's like WCW with the WO, right? You can drive a good thing into the ground. Um and at this point with Bullet Club and LIJ, I think yeah, you know, just have them do a beatdown or something. And you could roll off a separate faction, especially with when you're talking about the uh Grill is Destiny, um, and you get Haku involved. There's some cool shit you could do there that's a separate thing altogether, but I do think they need that whole thing needs freshening up. Yeah, I do agree. And a repackage, like I said, for Evil. Not he can still be with Sonata, they can still same dynamic, but just just make him look a bit more intimidating. Um even take and I, I don't want every fucking person to do this, especially part of the indie scene, because I'm already seeing it. Take example from Bray Wyatt with The Fiend and kind of just incorporate a little bit of look difference because it will make you look that much more scary, um, you know, after you come out looking like the grim fucking Reaper. That's all I'm saying. I love Evil, and I also love Sonata. Sonata is, you know, the protege to fucking Muda. So if I just he, – he looks like a, like a bright-looking anime character, and it's like – I don't know. I'm just not digging the blonde – 
fucking goat beard anymore either, but he's so awesome in the ring. Let's actually get into that match, Chris. IWGP Heavyweight Championship match. Kata and Sonata. Probably, it, I think this is my favorite match on the card. I mean, it's Okada. And I just love how much finesse the guy has, how much charisma the guy has, just how good he is at the ins and outs, and he doesn't have to do anything too fucking crazy. He does drop kicks. The craziest thing he does is a spinning tombstone. But it's drop kicks, lariats, and crossbodies. Like, what the fuck? And he's arguably, and I, I would say, and I know that Chris agrees with me, the best wrestler, bar none, in ring-wise. And he doesn't do anything too fucking crazy. And this was a great match. Um, I still fucking hate the Paradise Lock. I love Sonata, but I can't stand it. It just is stupid. It makes Okada look dumb. But that's my Jim Cornettism within it. Um, other than that, I just, it was great. Skull End, I mean, that was the whole story, is that no matter what Okada did, he, you know, Sonata kept on getting the Skull End, which has been the, the demise of Okada with Sonata beforehand. So it was nice that he was able to get it. I was like, I knew, I, I was like, he's going to get it, reverse it, and put it into a tombstone. And he did it fucking, I think, twice in the match. Uh, just a great <laughs> Okada match. Sonata is an awesome fucking wrestler. Great in ring. Uh, I would, like I said, I would watch out for him taking over in, in New Japan as one of their top guys. I feel like they're positioning him slowly. I hope not over Naito, but I'm just saying it just seems like that. Maybe they can have a rivalry. Uh, but I just thought this was a great match. Okada wins. Afterwards, Kotobushi comes out very cocky, tells him, you know, he's going to take that title. He's going to take the Intercontinental title. And I loved Okada. He was like, he's like, the Intercontinental title? He goes, why don't you worry about beating me? He's like, you know, he's like, let's, let's not even get into that. Like, you are getting so fucking far ahead of yourself, Kota. Like, remember, you got to beat me for the main title before you even worry about getting that second title. So he, he put him in his place. He accepted his challenge. It's official. Kotobushi versus Kazuchika Okada for the title at Wrestle Kingdom, which is going to be fucking bonkers and awesome. Chris, what did you think about this main event? First off, let me go ahead and say I don't think that's what Okada said in Japanese, but translated, that's basically what he said in Japanese, and it was absolutely amazing. <laughs> like, bro, I'm right here. <laughs> so I love that. <laughs> that was absolutely incredible. Um, I mean, Okada and Sonata are phenomenal. This is the fourth time we've seen this, third time we've seen this match in, like, what, four months, right? I think so, yes. And, and I'm fine with that. I mean, it is it is what it is. I'm excited to see Ibushi and Okada go at it, but I kind of want Naito to take him down a peg. You know what I mean? And maybe yeah. Okada be like, fuck it, I'll fight both of them. Can that be Okada's downfall? Because <laughs> Okada's had the title since, let's see, Jay White beat Kenny in what? Right after Wrestle Kingdom. And then, and then Jay Tanahashi. White had it for a month. Or, yeah, Jay White had it for a month and Tanahashi. So he's had it since, like, at least May or June. He's had it forever. Um, he's had it since 19-fucking-84, for Christ's sake. <laughs> Yeah, basically, he's out here fighting Hogan for title reigns. Um, <laughs> uh, I, Okada was amazing. Like you said, the, the thing about Okada is it's great. It's very much Ric Flair, and you either love it or you hate it. Like, Okada can have a good match with anyone because he can sell his ass off, and he only needs, like, five spots. And everyone's like, the five moves of doom with John Cena. 
Well, Okada kind of has the same thing. It just looks way better because it's fucking Okada, and he sells the entire time. But, I mean, like like you said, the big perfect 10 drop kick, the uh, crossbody off the top, and then the crossbody outside, or the, the suicide crossbody, and then a tombstone and a spinning tombstone, and then his finisher, right? But that's all he fucking needs because he's that good. <laughs> it's incredible. It's still exactly. It's it's awesome. So anytime anyone says five moves of doom, like Okada has a lot of fucking moves, but he doesn't necessarily need them. And I thought he proved that in this match. Like he just he sold his ass off to Sonata and, and put Sonata over. That's gonna be interesting to see what they do because I mean there's an there, the answer is you pull the trigger on Ibushi and you have him win both titles and that's it, right? But also, Okada's been the champion for, like, I don't know, almost a thousand days or something if you combine it. So are they ready to actually pull that trigger? I guess that's the big question in Japan, right? Yeah, pretty much. I would say so. And that's what we're going to have to wait on. But until then, I mean, the Rainmaker will succeed at being the guy no matter what, and, you know, if they feel the need that it's not working out with someone else, like they've done, they're going to fucking put it right back on Okada. I mean, either that or Tanahashi, I guess, but I think Okada's more the acceptable person at this point. So, and I'm fucking down with it, man. I mean, like I said, who's better today? No one. That's the well, answer. like you said, like, like you said, they built they built Okada so well. <laughs> this guy showed up in the ring. He's like, "I'm gonna take your title, and I'm gonna take your title." And Okada's like, "Hold up, what? <laughs> you, gonna do, you gonna do what? <laughs> you you pointed out perfectly." <laughs> Okada's like, "I am the rainmaker." <laughs> um, yeah, Okada's He's gonna show the, him the that way style. Yeah, yeah, Okada is brilliant. Uh, the way they've booked him is so perfect. And I know – I mean, the Japanese audience is not 100% behind Okada. He's not Tanahashi. Everyone loves Tanahashi, right? But Okada is – he's fucking incredible. They never get mad at his matches, we'll say that. So you can you can leave no. that belt on him forever and no one will give a shit. Um, and it just makes that belt more prestigious. Like, when Kenny Omega won that belt, like, it was such a huge deal, right, <laughs> when he won that belt. But the only reason it was a huge deal is because Okada held it for, like, 800 days beforehand. That's why it's yeah, important man. to have people win and lose, you know? It's it's ridiculous with him. He just – he's on a different level. He really is. It's like he took a pot and he took some of the best things about Hulk Hogan, Shawn Michaels, Kurt Angle, Ric Flair, fucking, and Misawa and fucking uh, Kota Kabashi and all mixed it in. in for your perfect yeah, wrestling in God. In and Tana the Rock. In Tanahashi. Fucking just put them all together and molded this dude out of it. Like, it's just incredible. It's fucking... He's great, man. But, uh... Whew, now we got to talk about Raw. Isn't that great? We were going to go from that to this. And I'm not going to go over the whole entire thing because I thought it was pretty uneventful. I'm going to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> I thought you were going to uh, be terrible. And I was like, same page. <laughs> but uneventful now, is probably I mean, better. I would say if the whole point of this was the rest of the 
the uh, what you call it the draft, which really I gotta say, let me just say about the draft. And I would actually say the first match between Becky and Charlotte was good, but they always have fucking good matches, so what'd you expect? And now it looks like they're going to be going at it for a while. I fucking hated the Heen, or the the Fiend hunting. I don't know how the hell that's going to help Seth Rollins that he burnt down the Firefly Funhouse. Unless we're not giving Paul Heyman, I mean, this possibility that Vince is not getting involved and that Paul Heyman has an overall story he's trying to tell. But I just don't have that much confidence in Vince getting involved and fucking up good things because it constantly happens. The draft, the way they positioned it with the war rooms, I thought was stupid. Why not give interviews with the wrestlers that actually are finding this information out for the first time their reaction? I care way more about that than Stephanie coming out on the fucking podium and listing everything really quickly, and that's it. And honestly, no one really changed. They were pretty much on the same roster they were already on beforehand. So, kudos. To a really fucking silly episode, I give credit in the sense of, or I give benefit of the doubt in a certain extent because I know that Paul Heyman is trying to write this. But with all the interference that could be happening, and we'll get into SmackDown, what happened, you know, with the sacrificial lamb basically with fucking Eric Bischoff, it just it's it's frustrating. Good seeing Alistair Black on the bill. That was nice. I mean, it's it was whatever. I'm not. I, I I don't. I'm just too aggravated. We have a lot of shit to cover. Chris, any of the things I said or any things that stand out to you, positive or negative, about Monday Night Raw, uh, the draft, um, any of that, the Firefly Floodhouse getting burnt down, burn it down, burn it dead. Didn't Bray Wyatt go to SmackDown? He did, was but it? I. So why are oh, they burning his that house down on Raw? Let me bring well, let me bring that up actually. So. Booker T announces, if you, if you tune in Tuesday to that first episode of WWE Backstage, a big fire trade is going to happen. And a lot of us were like, well, what makes sense is that this will throw us off and that The Fiend is going to go back to Raw. And Kevin Owens, who it looked like in storyline, who knows, maybe actually in real life, was bitching about the fact that every time he goes to somewhere, he gets himself up to a different level and they make him go to the opposite place. So we were like... You know, maybe Kevin Owens and, and – no, it wasn't. Alexa Bliss and fucking Nikki Cross were getting reversed, and they had a two more trades for – like, I used – that is so goddamn lame. I thought they fucked – they bungled the whole entire draft concept. Can we talk about – we missed this last week, but can we talk about the bumblefuck on the Nikki Cross, Alexa Bliss to begin yes. with? They took How two you could, draft you picks could fucking, for one you team. Could, <laughs> two draft picks. But by the way, but meanwhile, the good like brothers Raw and, drafted, the H- and AJ Styles are all one. <laughs> yeah, they're all one. So so no. Nikki Cross and Alexa Bliss better wrestlers than Luke Gallows, AJ Styles, and Carl Anderson. Okay, got it. <laughs> Two separate draft picks. It's yeah, so I don't know, man. Dude. And then they just but, yeah. switched it, so it didn't even mean anything. <laughs> dude, well, well, not only that, dude, what about, what about like... the Fiend? Like, how the hell are they going to get Seth Rollins over with this? I don't understand, and what the fuck are they doing with the Fiend? Why didn't they just have him win the that we're not title? Seeing? I don't know. Could, could Why was he even not in win the, the title, title match? He didn't even need it. Like, they could have kept him in different stuff outside of it. Uh, they could have had him fight Matt Hardy, and people would have been like, that's cool. You know what I mean? Like, like he could have fought like 
I don't know, R-Truth and won the 24-7 title and then no one challenged him on the fun house or whatever. <laughs> like, there's a bazillion things they could have done. They're like, no, we're going to have Seth hit 19 curb stomps. <laughs> You're like, okay. God damn it. I'm still sore about this. <laughs> yeah, the I'm sorry. You, know, either. you brought it back uh, up. We, we try not to be negative, but... This is kind of like you were picking how you were picking scabs on that one. <laughs> no shit. Uh, uh, all right, well, that's raw. That's that's all I'm gonna say. Do you have any last comments about raw before we move on? I mean, I thought the wrestling on it was okay. I think the draft. Yeah, you know what? Let's let's give credit. <laughs> let's give credit. There were some good matches. <laughs> You know, I mean, that's one thing that we've always bitched about, but they're actually getting better about, is Becky Lynch and Charlotte had a good match. Andrade and Ali had a good match. I thought that Robert Roode and Dolph Ziggler and the, the Viking Raiders, Viking Raiders getting the championships was good. Aleister Black and Eric Young had a good match. Eric Young is still uh, somewhat, uh, I guess, employed. Ricochet had a good match with Shelton Benjamin. And Buddy Murphy had a great match with uh, Cedric Alexander. And the Kabuki Warriors had a great match with, uh, well, they had a five match. With, I don't know why the fuck that ended the thing. With Lacey Evans, who's yeah. now friends with Natalia. Yeah, God that's damn it. Just I try to be positive. Thing. For two you seconds, were being positive because, we, no, you were being positive because you're like, there was some good wrestling on this show, but it's just so baffling what the hell they do on that goddamn show. It's like, it's like, uh, we are trying to be positive. I swear, it's just been me and Dane have had a hard road since WrestleMania. <laughs> Jesus Christ, God, it's been a long road. <laughs> well, let's uh let's talk about something that I really enjoyed. The second episode of NWA Power. I'm really enjoying Tuesdays, yeah. and I like I said, I'm planning on doing what I said I was going to do. Do NWA Power at six, at seven, do. Uh, AEW Dark, which I love the Kenny Omega Joey Janela match. Thanks for giving that for people for free on fucking YouTube. And then Impact starts right on Twitch and also on Access at fucking eight o'clock. So I'll, I'll I'll be trying to attempt that on Tuesdays. I don't know how long that's going to last, but either way, second episode of NWA Power. I love seeing. I don't know a lot about Damian Sandow, but. He seems pretty funny and uh, he's and charismatic, but I love seeing Ken Anderson and Cole Cabana there. Ken Anderson's definitely someone that makes a lot of sense to have a part of this. I also like seeing Trevor Murdoch back, looking more like Dick Murdoch, but, you know, whatever. And I got to see Nicky <laughs> Starks in a couple indie shows, so I'm very happy for the guy that he's getting bigger uh, within the industry, uh, within WA. So overall thoughts before we go over the matches and the show itself, Chris. I thought it was an awesome show. It's the thing about that show is it's fun to watch. There was a couple squash matches, but there were some good promos. Um, if I had to point out something that I absolutely hated, Cole Cabana like yelling every time he hits a move is just old to me at this point. Like I know that's his gimmick and it's been his gimmick for forever, but like I don't fucking need it now, and I like Colt Cabana, and I like his podcast a lot, and he's a super nice guy. I've met him, but, like, I'm fucking kind of done with the the boom every time he gets a move or whatever the fuck he was doing. Uh, outside of that um, – Is that him cool trying to, to like, do a, a Dusty Rhodes thing or something? Like, I, don't, I never understood that either. I, I don't know. It sucks. 
<laughs> I mean, like, if I'm being honest, I mean, I'm the guy that said CM Punk Macho Man Elbow Drop tribute sucked. So, of course, I'm going to be like Cole Cabana yelling, boom, every time he hits a move sucks. Like, I'm I'm not going to lie to you. It sucks. <laughs> um, but I do like seeing Ken Anderson back. And I like the promo beforehand. And uh, I like Cole Cabana taking a more serious take. Um, it was cool seeing Trevor Murdoch. I like him a lot. I think he's a really fucking good wrestler, as we saw in the ring. And just the aesthetic of that show still pleases me. And it's only an hour long. It's easy to get through. They got some dope-ass music for the ending credits. <laughs> whatever was it called? Like, On Fire or whatever? The... I don't remember, but I know it's the name of their pay-per-view coming up. That's the one thing I will say about NWA is that the shows themselves don't have to be crazy-ass matches. And a lot of times they do have really good wrestling matches, but there is some squash match elements. But they're building towards a pay-per-view that I think a lot of us are going to check out and that I was trying to get tickets for when they went on sale. And they sold out, I I, I think it was like 30 minutes. Now, obviously, it's a smaller place. Uh, I think they're doing it center stage, I believe. But I was still like, well, never mind. All right. Fuck. Yeah, it's like it's like two thousand. It's yeah, it's only like two thousand seats. I had I had people trying to get tickets for me as well, and that that thing sold out pretty pretty good. Good for them, man. It's great to have wrestling back in Georgia. Channeling the old no NWA GCW. I appreciate this. Some somewhere right now, Jim Cornette and Tommy Rich are having a hug. <laughs> God damn it, Tommy! Come over here. Give me a hug. Uh, that was terrible. All right. Um, I guess we should get into this. So how did you like – like, I don't know a lot about Damien Sandow. Do you think he's going to be a good fit? He came off a little bit quirky, some good, some not so good, I think, within his interview, though. But I guess I'm going to have to get used to calling him by Aaron Stevens, which is way cooler sounding than fucking Damien Sandow. So he was a really good promo in WWE but he was held back a lot, and he's a decent wrestler. But now he also has the WWE promo style. You know what I mean? That's kind of a hard thing to break out of versus the rest of these guys that are just coming out here and basically spitting freestyles. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like like Nick Aldis is just coming out there and saying whatever he feels. Um, It doesn't mean he, he can't get great. Because uh, I, I I always thought he was a good promo, but I, it did come off a little awkward, and like in comparison to when he was doing uh, Damian Sandow promos and talking about how intellectual he was, those were better, but they were written for him. So that's going to be interesting to see. But the dude is a great wrestler. Uh, he also did the he did the gimmick where he mimicked other people's styles in the ring, like the Miz, like he was Damian Mizdow for a while, and just did all the Miz's moves. So I think that he's going to get there, and that'll be intriguing. Um, it's just he needs to get there super quick before Trevor Murdoch uh, becomes a fan favorite, just like Jim Cornette talking about Dick Murdoch being the big redneck bandit or whatever he was calling him. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Trevor Murdoch is going to get over by like Jim Cornette talking about Dick Murdoch. <laughs> Him talking about dick, man There's something so appealing about that Anyways, um, 
Yeah, for, first first impression of him, Chris, he kind of reminded me of uh, Lenny Poffo, the genius, genius gimmick that he had in WWE back in the 80s. Uh, I don't know if that's what he's going for, but that's exactly look-wise and thought-wise what I got from him. So that's what he did in WWE, basically. Same thing? He wore okay, a, that makes a blue and white robe, and he was like a smarter person than everyone else, and then they fucked his gimmick up and made him just impersonate people. Oh, well, that's good. Anyways, so to get into it, we had a match. Gimmick. Okay. So, yeah, that's what it seemed like. We had a match between uh, Ricky Starks and Trevor Murdoch, like we said. Uh, Murdoch, or, or Starks, won the match. Murdoch put him over, and afterwards, you know, he cut a pretty fire promo. And then uh, Murdoch came over and shook his hand. And uh, I think it was a, it was nice Pretty uh, pretty weird though that you know smaller guy uh, that they made Murdoch lose the first time. I thought it was kind of awkward booking, but hey, they're trying to build stars, and I get that. So that looks good if someone like if you beat someone like a Trevor Murdoch and he gives you a uh, you know nice little uh, hand salute, if you will. What do you think, Chris? I liked it because I thought the commentary was really good on it. One because Jim Cornette was putting over Murdoch the entire time of how badass he was, and then when he lost, he was kind of shocked. So then you're like, hell yeah, the underdog won. That was kind of dope. So I appreciated that. I thought it was kind of cool. Do you think they're positioning Trevor to be a baby face, or is this not going to last and he's going to, you know, fuck someone up like Ricky in the future? Oh, man, it's so hard. He would be such a great heel. It's so hard to tell. Um, man, I'm going to have to go with he's going to go on a losing streak and fuck someone up, like start cheating to win. I have to go with that. Just If you're going with old school NWA, that's the only thing that makes sense, right? <laughs> with that's the brass what I'm saying. Luck. Yeah, you're 100% right. I think that's where they're going with that. <laughs> All right, so we found out Polk Cabana's partner for this uh, main event was actually, like I said, going to be Mr. Anderson. So Ken Anderson is in NWA, cuts a pretty good promo, uh, and uh, yeah, that was uh, pretty much it. We also had the women's match um, with the champion. I'm going to have to try to remember this. Uh, Allison Kay, which is Sienna, that's what I know her as, but she went against Ashley Vox. Did a good match, beat her, uh, but I want to say it was a squash match. She definitely let Ashley get a little bit of uh, offense, but Allison Kay, man, I forgot how good she was, man, back in Impact when... I first noticed her. She's got a great look to her, and she is one of those female wrestlers out there, like a Tessa Blanchard, maybe not at her level, to me at least, but someone that's doing some shit outside of the WWE. Yeah, I think me and you both talked about how good she was. Um, I can't remember. I think it was around WrestleMania. There was some show that we watched. She's absolutely amazing. Um, yeah, great. I, I thought it was a very good match. I mean, short, but very good. And uh, Allison Kay going to be a fucking superstar and uh speaking of tessa blanchard she's going to be name your price when that contract's up in impact so hope the the wallets are out for that because she's been absolutely fucking incredible (laughs) like yep (laughs) i agree man that gail kim match that she had was fucking awesome. The one she had with Sammy, um, Sammy Callahan was great. Every everything they throw at Tessa, she always does great work, man. I mean, Tessa is like the female HBK, basically. I was, gonna, I was gonna say like she's fe- she's doing stuff 
you know, maybe not the same level, but like impressing us like an Okada or a Adam Cole or Johnny Gargano, just always putting in good fucking matches no matter what. And that's what's really yeah, impressive like, and hard to find. Yeah, regardless of the storyline, she's like, oh, you want a good match? Okay, I got you. I got to fight Disco Inferno. Hold on. <laughs> I'm going to fuck his world up. Goddamn. <laughs> awesome. Don Callis has booked her so amazingly, and she's worked so amazingly. Like, I don't, I don't know what we can get. Can we give her some kind of weird fucking award or something from our show? <laughs> but she deserves one. Yeah. Well, the uh, the wrestler the wrestler of the year before we get to the end of the year award that's what we'll call it. Oh. Well, it's kind of <laughs> well, de- she'll work. definitely be in consideration <laughs> for for one of the top. I, I mean, I would say top female right now. Uh, it's kind of hard. Maybe you I mean, heard Charlotte fight it out, which would be awesome. I mean, hands down, top female. Um, but it really sucks because WWE could have signed her. That's the worst part. And then also AEW has her dad. God damn it. All right, let's continue forward. We're going to go down a dark path. <laughs> Just going to get going to get crazy. Did I miss a match? Uh, Jordan Kingsley. Yeah, so they, they went against the wild cards. The, the ending, I know a bunch of craziness happened, but I'm trying to remember who they went against originally. I think it was the wild cards versus uh, uh, Ken Anderson and um, – no, it was a wild card, and there was a run-in. I can't remember who did the run-in right off the top of my oh, head. Oh, it was the Dawson. So it was uh, it was Outlaw Inc., which is Eddie Kingston, Homicide, going against the wild cards. Uh, but they had a good match, and then the Dawsons ran in and beat the shit out of everyone, and that's what we pretty much left with. Um, Kingston's such a good promo. And, that's what I will put out there. He's a fucking good yeah, promo, man. but he's not very good in the ring. He's not up to the standard of... I'm about to watch AEW after this, and Nick Aldis is on your roster. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I agree with that. Uh, he's much better, like in Impact, at least to me. I mean, he was a good in that Evolve event I saw him on, but he's good as a manager, man. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. In a world where Sami Zayn's being forced to be a manager, you know what I'm saying? But um, well, in a world where Sami Zayn's forced to be a manager, that makes Sami Zayn the greatest wrestler of all time. If we're just comparing <laughs> comparing managers to managers, that's a good point. That is a good point. All right. Well, uh, this last thing happened uh, with uh, Joe Galley interviewing Nick Aldis and Camille, just adding some more storyline, trying to get some information about Camille within this, and saying that Nick Aldis is trying to hold her back from speaking and. Gives her a second to, to say anything, and she won't say anything. And basically, Aldis was like, quit, quit it with your clickbait and fuck off. He didn't say that exactly, but uh, that was like a nice little touch uh, to end the whole entire thing because it was a big deal when she got injured the week previous. So I like what they're doing with this duo. And I really like – it seems like Nick Aldis is being positioned as a baby face, but he's got some fuck, he's got some shady shit about him, which could position him as a heel at any moment's notice. And I really like that. I like Nick Aldis. What did you feel about this interview, Chris? I fucking loved it because it's Macho Man. It's just Macho Man. It's Chris Adams. Don't you worry about it. I mean, because even when Macho Man was a babyface, if you go back and watch, like, the Mega Powers, what was he always worried about? Elizabeth, right? It's perfect. I love it. It's absolutely incredible. And I also love the investigative 
like journalism and then talking about all of his awards for journalism <laughs> and how he's going to uh, pursue it to the end of time. It's great. It's fucking great. Dude, NWA is such a good fucking show. Like, not only as a wrestling show, but just as a show. It's a good fucking show. I completely agree, man. Waffles oh. and Fire Eyes, man. We got to talk about this commercial. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. So, so yeah, bring uh, smart me up about that commercial. I can't remember who it was. Oh fuck. Well, the last last week, who did they do? I can't remember. They were like, "Come on down oh, to Austin Idol School." Yeah, come on down to Austin Idol Wrestling School. This week, they were like, "Yeah, so I got tired of wrestling, so I got the Tyrons and the Waffles." <laughs> They're doing the Rob Zombie gimmick where he makes a fake trailer inside of his movie, where like the Quentin Tarantino like de- uh, Death Proof, you know, where he has like the fake trailer. Yeah. It's awesome. I fucking love it. I hope they do that a bazillion more times because it's incredible. And, like, my friend sent me a message. He's like, is Austin Idol serious about a wrestling school? I was like, no. <laughs> like, Austin <laughs> not out here actively training people how to wrestle. <laughs> I mean, you got kayfabe oh, pretty hard. And I'm sure he would accept your $12,000 tuition, but, like, <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, Lord. But yeah, those commercials right. are awesome. I love everything about the aesthetic. I, I think that is just a good show, even if you're not a wrestling fan, because you could just, like you said, I think you said it would be like great for Adult Swim, just like a weird thing that you put on. People just be like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, let's try this weird fucking thing. Well, I watched wrestling when I was younger. What the fuck is this? Because a lot of people are not going to know that much about studio wrestling from the early to mid-80s, you know? I mean, shit, I was born in yeah. 85, so... Um. Yeah, well, let's move on to the Wednesday Night Wars. We've got time to talk about them, actually. Plenty of time, and we'll probably have to smash SmackDown real quickly. But uh, first, so Jim Ross wanted to – he was on his episode, and I – Conrad Thompson said the best. He goes, I think it's a good thing and also a bad thing that we do these episodes the day after you have a, a show because JR is getting a lot of fucking shit from fans, man, and – I, I just think it's a bit ridiculous. Like, I get it with the Japan stuff because he was pronouncing things wrong and, and not knowing. But that's because he constantly wasn't with the product. But this one, Chris, has been about Jungle Boy and JR. people saying that JR's fucking up his name and insulting him because, you know, they're fucking – I, I just don't – I don't – if you're a fan like that, just stop listening to our show, please. I don't really need your listens. No. If, if you're a if, wrestling fan and you have a problem with JR – Stop listening to our fucking show. He's a goddamn legend. Suck it up, no Buttercup. <laughs> like, fuck off. Get some. There's way more things to be annoyed about than Jr.'s commentary. <laughs> like, I know. Right, just I'm done. chill the fuck Continue. out. No, I, I get it, man. And that's how I am too. So he was on Grilling Jr. and he's, and you know he keeps on saying he's like I look at all my direct messages. I don't know why someone you know if you're at all famous would fucking check out anyone's shit. Uh, that's why I always joke and say if you have a problem with what I have to say, check out my Twitter account because it's basically just out there. I don't even fucking use it. But it, he even says he reads all this shit, and it's like I wish that he didn't. At his age, I don't want fucking Jr. to be all wound up. But he gets on the show the next day, his podcast with him, and he's like bitching about. He's like, look. 
I know I'm calling him Jungle Jack or Jungle Boy Jack Perry. I'm trying to give him my name for him, like the Rattlesnake with Steve Austin or the Brahma Bull. It's just something I'm trying to do. I'm not fucking up everything. He's like, these people are trying to be inside bookers. They've never... They never worked in the damn wrestling industry, and they're so amazing to jump down people's throats. They've never, they would never say to to the person's fucking face. So JR was pretty fucking so, pissed and steamed about it, Chris. So, for me, he was putting him over by calling him Jack Perry, like being the son of Luke Perry as Jungle Boy. He was putting him the fuck over because Luke Perry was on nine two and zero, and he's a bigger star than Jungle Boy. So he was actively trying to put him over, but putting him over as Jungle Boy Jack Perry. And if you hear any of the fucking Jungle Boy interviews, he talks about his dad. So, like, fuck off. You guys suck. Like, get be better at being wrestling fans. I don't know the fuck. Like, JR is actively trying to put him over to a bigger audience. It's not towards, like, fucking fanboy marks. (laughs) Nope. No, it's not. And not only that, JR's doing a good job of sticking up for stupid things that they're doing, you know, within the ring and bringing it up to the attention of the people in the back, like, hey, we need to tighten that up. And I think that's a good quality to have. You got a fucking commentating team where you have one of the best current, I would say, broad, or broadcasters for PWG, Excalibur, and then Tony fucking Shivani and Jim Ross. Shut the fuck up. Quit saying, oh, they're all color guys, so they're fucking smashing into each other. Just stop bitching. Like, come on. Find something to bitch about that's actually important. Jesus Christ. If the problem with AEW to a lot of you guys might be fucking JR's commentary, then you're watching wrestling for the wrong fucking reason. And that's all I have to say. About yeah, it. I mean, the problem should be this first fucking segment where, well, we'll let's talk about it. <laughs> let's go into that. <laughs> well, yeah, so we had the AEW Tag Championships, uh, SCU. Um, or a tournament, I mean, uh, SCU going against uh, the best friends. And I think they did a good job of uh, building up Scorpio Sky, but I'm not quite sure. I guess they're supposed to be like this. Now with Phoenix, because he's usually a baby face, but Pentagon and Phoenix took out um, and, and just completely destroyed uh, what you call Christopher Daniels and Frankie Kazarian with Scorpio not out there. Uh, even doing a pile driver on the steel part, the uh, package pile driver Pentagon did to Christopher Daniels taking him out of the match. Rick Kazarian comes down there uh, in his street clothes. He just gets some tape, puts it around his, you know, I really liked a lot of that stuff. But uh, the the match, uh, you know, SCU went over with the best friends. Um, I'm just, I don't know. Is this, I feel like what they're trying to do is get us to think that we're going to get to um, SCU, and the Lucha Brothers in the finals, but they're actually going to flip that, and it's not going to be that, and then these two tag teams are going to feud. Um, but I'm trying to think, what did, what did you mean, at least to this, uh, Chris? I mean, What's the, the most offensive thing on this entire show is they drop Christopher Daniels on his fucking head on the ramp. <laughs> like, that's the thing people should be. <laughs> Friend of the show, Christopher Daniels, got dropped on his head. <laughs> Almost died. Yeah, that is that is a good point. <laughs> I thought the match itself was fine. I like the way they booked Scorpio Sky. I think he's the biggest star of that crew, um, especially in Christopher Daniels' later years. Um, 
and I thought the match itself was really fucking good. I just didn't want to see Christopher Daniels get dropped on his fucking head. Yeah, that, that is a good point. Um, I don't know. A lot of that shit's That was way more crazy. offensive than JR's commentary. I'll just put that out there. <laughs> now, let me let, – let, I'm trying to crack myself. Are you talking about the pile driver itself or before that? He did the package pile driver. He dropped Christopher Daniels directly on his fucking head. On the ramp. Yeah. Like, shoot. I yeah. thought Chris Daniels was dead. You can look at that from whatever angle you want to look at it. It was not a safe pile driver. Chris Daniels had no arms up. He dropped him directly on his head. Somehow, Chris Daniels is fine because that man is uh, a comic book character and it is incredible, but holy shit, someone could have broken their neck there. That was a scary spot. Yeah, no, I, that pile driver did look nasty. And what's even worse about that is that pile driver later on couldn't put away. We'll we'll, we'll get into that. Uh, never mind. Um, I don't want I don't want to bitch. I really liked AEW, and I I did uh, just that. Jr. Getting, admitting that he gets berated by people just really fucking pisses me off by the fans out there. Uh, so it got us both hot, if you will. But uh, we had Santana Ortiz get to show off a bit. I don't know what they're going to call him. I'm not really worried about it. Obviously, LAX is owned uh, by Impact. Uh, but they went against two local enhancements, John Silver and Alex Reynolds, beat them very easily. They had this weird thing at the end of it where Chris Jericho was in a video and he was, uh, you know, he basically challenged the Young Bucks on behalf of Ortiz and Santana. But he was trying to put him over, but we could hear the audio of Ortiz and he was just going, We're the greatest! We're the greatest! We're greatest, and it kept on getting in between the audio, so it kind of was a little bit awkward. But hey, man, that type of shit's gonna happen. They still have an incredible production. Uh, just getting out the kinks, but uh, Chris Jericho can fucking sell a condom to the Pope, Chris. Yeah, that that was my biggest problem is the production, and they're gonna get better at that. I mean, they're just gonna have to tell us <laughs> Santana not to yell so much. <laughs> like. <laughs> You know what I mean? I love that he was saying that they are the greatest. You know what I mean? Like, it puts them over as, like, hey, we are the best. But at the same time, it's like, Jericho is the biggest star on your show, so probably shut the fuck up. Um, Or at least be a little quieter. Uh, So that's just something they're going to have to tell him or just, like, mute the audio on. But I agree. That was a weird production moment for them. But outside of that, like, a fucking great squash match. I love LAX. Can't wait to see them beat the shit out of the Young Bucks. It's going to be awesome. Yep. All right. Um, I think if there's any, like, quote-unquote controversy with matches, it would probably be between the next two. Um, first, we had the AEW's Women's Championship match with Riho going against Dr. Britt Baker, DMD. I just – I have said this before in the past. Uh, I think Britt Baker is great. I think we need more to her gimmick. Actually, one thing that I, I feel like with the, with the great package they had for Cody uh, leading up to his match with Jericho, which is on a pay-per-view coming up, I feel like they should stop thinking that everyone wa- is watching Being the Elite because the amount that are watching that compared to the amounts that are watching their television show is drastically different. To build some of these guys like Adam Page, like Sammy Guevara, if you're not going to be put over at least by Chris Jericho, like Darby Allen, who was actually going against your champion at the end of the night, not Cody Rhodes, who's going against whoever won that technically at the pay-per-view. Why not give those guys more packages? Britt Baker, Riho, 
I don't really have investment in much in Tim. Um, I even watch Being the Elite, and I feel like this sometimes with them. And just one thing, I mean, I know that she's supposed to be the Rey Mysterio of the women's division, and I like her, but God, she's so teeny and light. Like, she doesn't make any noise when she impacts the fucking ring. I swear, it's just like nothing. So, I mean, I, I'll, I'll get used to that. Her size, if they use it to an advantage, I just feel like if you put it on, if you would have put it on Nyla, or if you put it on Awesome Kong, which I know she's doing glow and, and she's got a lot of shit going on, you just have this big monster for the women's division to try to, you know, overcome. I think that might have been good, but then again, it's not WWE booking, so I should I should give them, like I said, the benefit of the doubt to try something. I'm just not as keen into either one of these women, honestly, because they I don't think they've given us much to be able to, to build up. Um, Chris, is that accurate, or do you feel a different way? So I feel a different way, but for a different reason. I think Rio has carried every one of the matches they've put her in, and she's done a great job, and she has been basically the Kenny Omega of the female division. Um, there's something about her the crowd just connects with that they just absolutely love. When she made her comeback at the end of uh, – that last match she had with Nyla in this match, the crowd just pops for her. And there's nothing you can do about that. It's just like, you know, it's the thing, like you said, the great comparison, Rey Mysterio Jr. It's like, well, what the fuck can we do about that? I guess she's just super over. Can you make us like, I told you. Uh, but she's fucking great, dude. And Britt Baker is green as shit. And, you know, she's, she's fine, but, like, they haven't done anything to make us care about her. I mean, unless you're going to just put her in there against, like, Awesome Kong or, uh, you know, Aja Kong and just have her get killed, um, I don't know what you do with her. I feel like you have to keep letting her win because the fans really like her. And apparently, like, uh, per Wrestling Observer and other people, when she has a match, it goes up, like, 20% or some weird shit like that. I don't know if that's, like, weird fanboy thing or whatever, but... She's obviously I agree with you on that. I'm just wondering personally with a lot of these stars that people don't know, outside of Cody, outside of Kenny Omega, outside of John Moxley, that they could do some video packages for some of these people that are not as big and not rely on their audience to go and check out their YouTube show to know some of these people more intimately. Well, I think with Rio it doesn't matter. You just look at her and you're like Well overall. Yeah. Bruce Lee, right? You don't have to know anything. Like, you, do you really need like the English dub on a Bruce Lee movie to know that like the little guy's about to whip wholesale ass? You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of that with her. Like, she has that connection with people, which is kind of crazy. And I didn't expect it, but I mean, she I really. I think does you're locking just with Rhea when I'm talking about a wide array of different people throughout the. What what do you mean? Like, what do you where do you go going forward? I don't know. I don't know who you have be Rio. I I would assume a, a no, monster. No. All right. Um. What the hell? Try try to rephrase nope. it because maybe I'm just missing what you're saying, bud. All wrestlers uh, within there. It seems like they have these really long packages they put on their television for Cody, who's going against uh, Chris Jericho. But in a pay-per-view okay. a couple weeks away, instead of for, like, Darby Allen, who's facing him that night that we don't know a lot about, or a Sammy Guevara, or a Britt Baker, or Riho, I feel like they, they, they expect you 
to watch being the elite to get to know these people, but obviously the people that are watching that compared to the television show are drastically different. Yeah, no, you're right. But for Rio, I don't think it's ne- it's necessary. There, there's something okay. about having that natural connection and charisma. That's that's more of what I was getting at. Um, with some of the other characters you're talking about, like Darby Allen, they did a really good job in that first um, interview with him and Cody. That first him and Cody match, they did a really good job of putting him over. But for whatever reason, she just has that like Jeff Hardy charisma, dude. There's nothing you can do about it. People are just gonna like her. Yeah, that, that's very true. And that, like I said, that Bray Mysterio aspect. Um, AEW Tag Championship Tournament match, uh, Lucha Bros against Jurassic Express. Uh, all right. I will say, <laughs> Luchasaurus was injured. They had to go to something differently, and they had to do something drastically. That being said, I don't think Marco Stunt should have gotten as much offense as he did. I don't think he should have kicked out of the same package of pile driver that crippled Christopher Daniels. The beginning of it, I thought a lot of it was completely unbelievable, especially when um, Pentagon threw uh, uh, Marco Stunt into a DDT with Ray. I also don't really like that the whole tournament has been tag team, but now this is Lucha tag team, so you don't have to have direct tags. A lot of that type of stuff really fucking annoyed me. I don't want to give Marco Stunt as much shit, though. I think that, you know, he's he, he'll, if he was utilized, if they had a light heavyweight Tile division, they would have a lot of wrestlers that can compete in that. He would look fine in it. He's 20. He's actually not a child, even though people think that. I mean, he does look young as shit. I think he has potential. He's really good at certain things, but believability, uh, you know, you can only suspend your disbelief so much. And I know that they were kind of forced to do stuff. I just would have had Jungle Boy in the ring a hell of a lot more. I wouldn't have had blatant stuff that was right in front of the referee, which is the thing I'm mostly complaining about with AEW. And uh, the Lucha Tag rules all of a sudden in a tournament that never really applied that. Plus, like I said, the pile driver to him, that type of stuff just kind of made me roll my eyes a bit, to be honest with you. But don't get off Marco Stunt's dick, man. You know, if if this was – I forgot what the blonde guy is that really known for the 24-7 title. Uh, God dang it. Rockstar Spud. I can't remember what <laughs> – No, like, like Rockstar Spud, you know, if you position him – if you position him in a tag match, you should not utilize him and having him, you know, being able to uh, fucking kick out or, or come over two of their other guys they're building. I mean, Pentagon individually by himself is a big entity. So, I don't know. Some of that stuff, it just got a little bit silly, so I get that criticism. But get off Marco's back because he's only doing his fucking job, and they were kind of forced to do something and put it together last minute because of Luchasaurus's injury. What do you think, Chris? I think they worked a lucha match, and people that are huge American fans will fucking hate it. <laughs> I just don't know I why they chose. I just don't know why they choose to do a lucha match in a tournament that didn't really have, you know, that going on beforehand. I, mean, I agree with you, but they were forced into it, and they have time to rehearse. These teams seem like they're all teams that rehearse. They don't seem like they're teams that call shit in the ring. To be completely honest with you especially if you watch Young Bucks versus yeah. Lucha Brothers like six times in a row. Um, so they probably were like, we have two hours. How the fuck do we do this? Uh, I thought it was fine. I like some of the reversals. I thought they used Marco's stunt the best way they could. Um, 
the package pile driver spot that you're talking about, the only reason that's a big deal is because the, he killed Christopher, Christopher Daniels with it earlier, so that was just a bad spot. But like outside of that, I mean, it's just a, it was just a lucha match and it was fine. Um, Marcus Dunn's taking a lot of shit he didn't deserve. I mean, like he's just a dude in a match, and he, I it's not like he wrestled bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's not like he fucking the drizzling shit though. He's not like a, almost dropping Charlotte Flair on her head like Nia Jack style or anything. But like, I mean, leave the. Leave the poor dude alone. <laughs> like he's just fucking out there. I mean, like I guess you could chant like chant Alvarez break his other leg or something. Like I, I, I just don't know what the expectation was with that match. I mean, I think I feel like everyone was just disappointed when it was Luchasaurus, and then we found out he was injured, and we were just like, okay, well that sucks because Luchasaurus might be the most over person on their roster besides Jericho. <laughs> no <laughs> shit, man. Because I sent you a text message immediately. I didn't know he was hurt. And I was like, no fucking Luchasaurus. Fuck this show. <laughs> this is bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, Luchasaurus is just awesome. And he went in there and he had a great match. And Ray Phoenix and Pentagon worked with what they had. And it was it was an indie match. Like, you're not going to know who you're going to wrestle with, right? So they just went in there and did what they did. The package pile driver, I agree with you. If you're going to kill a dude with it, you can't do the same move. But they probably didn't think of that. You know what I mean? So, outside of that, like, the moves and the the crispness of them, uh, like, actually catching each other and doing lucha spots, I thought was fun. Um, I would have put, like, a bigger comeback on Jungle Boy and tried to put it more over. Uh, but outside of that, like, I, I don't know. It's fucking fine. I didn't have as big of a problem with it as some other people. It was like, well, he's so tiny. It was like, oh, there's a lot of fucking, like, are you, like, literally, we have a man that comes from, like, the dead that shoots lightning bolts or motherfuckers. Like, <laughs> a guy being small. Calm down like a you're little getting bit, caught yeah. up on. <laughs> like, yeah, I agree. Is that what you're getting caught up on? <laughs> it's wrestling. <laughs> yep. All right, so the next match that we had, we had uh, Kenny Omega and Hangman Page going against Pac and John Moxley. And I like how there was dissension, kind of, especially between Pac and Moxley. Or Pac, I should say, sorry. Um, but I, I, I think it was good. I, I get that they're building. You know what problem I have with it, Chris, and that was when they were going to go toe-to-toe with the weapons. And then it's just a hit with the handle. I mean, Moxley should have been disqualified. And all they had to do was not make a contact directly in front of the ref with that in the middle of the goddamn ring. But whatever. I do really like that Pac was so worried about, you know, John Moxley getting them disqualified or screwed over that he started getting in his face and was like, what's the matter with you? You're going to screw up my record. Like, get your fucking, basically, your shit in the game. Like, don't worry about your match. And at one point, he said, fuck you, and he did the whole uh, – Two, two gun salute and fucking dro- dropped him with the uh, paradigm shift. And Puck was able to be uh, get a lariat and a V trigger. And then the dead eye, and uh, whatchamacallit, uh, he lost the match. So that's the first loss against Pack. But um, just a cool way to set that up. I just, that, that one thing, all I have to do is just have her distracted while it happens. And then I just don't care. But if it's directly in front of that, it's like, what the fuck? 
Anyways, Chris, what do you think about this match? I agree with you. I think someone just pulled the trigger too soon on... I don't know if the ref came in too late or they were just like, well, I guess we're doing this now. Uh, it's a small thing. I don't think, like, think about the average fan watching at home, right? Like uh, just random person that's switching over. Do you think they would have cared as much as we cared about that? Because I felt like it was kind of a small thing, um, especially when they scared him out of the ring. I like that they scared the ref out of the ring, and maybe that's why he didn't call yeah. the Yeah. And they should sell that more. Because um, we kind of t- we we talked about this with the New Japan thing, I think they should definitely sell that more. Um, but I agree with you; it, it was a little bit weird. Um, I definitely love the Double Bird, uh, Double Underhook DDT, whatever the hell he's calling it. It's, it, it's fucking Mick Foley's finisher. He had a Double Underhook DDT. <laughs> and then he paradigm shift. And, he was, and then he was just like, oh, "Fuck it, I'm out." <laughs> and he got a giant Stone Cold Steve Austin pop off the the birds and DDT. But I don't know how that gets. Was the, I, I, I don't know who that was supposed to get over. Is it supposed to make, I mean, if you look at the match, all right, from a normal wrestling perspective, does that make, are we calling him pack now? Pack the baby face? Because well, it goes back to Cody saying, I guess, that there are going to be specific heels and baby faces, but it's all under interpretation for whoever you want to cheer for. So I guess Pac and John Moxley were quote-unquote the heels. I I don't even fucking know, Chris. I'm trying to figure that out myself, actually. Yeah. I mean, you, but you can't justify this. That basically makes Pac the baby face. He was like, no, we have to win this clean. The wins are important. And Mox was like, fuck you, and threw him the bird and gave him DDT and just left. And then Pac bought two heels, basically. He got his ass Like, two on one. Like, Kenny Omega should have dipped out and, like, went after Moxley or something. At least then it would have been a one versus one match. I don't know. I thought I, – I liked the match a lot. I thought it was fine. I get what they were trying to do with the storytelling, but I also think it was super fucking dumb. Like – Especially with NWA out there just telling straight ass storylines, <laughs> like, who am I supposed to cheer for in this? It's definitely not Hangman because he's got that shitty theme music. So, <laughs> <laughs> taking a shot at that theme music again. Oh, Lord. Blah blah blah. Uh, All right, well, let's get to the. I, I... I I know we both do. It just you know that's just how it kind of is. Like I said, he's another person that I think could use some packaging and, and shown more to give off him or at least a fucking promo. Cause it seems like he has to do shit. Um, either way, let's get to this main event. A W championship match. It's a street fight. You have the pain maker, Chris Jericho, uh, that iteration of him versus Darby Allen, who looked awesome, man. I love the champion all over his face, like within the, the gimmick that he has, uh, with the face paint going down his right side or left side, left eye from TLC, whatever. Uh, but I think this match was good. It just showed Darby Allen just makes it look fluid enough where a lot of the crazy shit that he does, it makes it look like it's it's kind of real. Uh, I think that's part of his appeal. 
I think it came down to Jericho uh, taped Allen's hands uh, back behind his back, and you would think that he would be fucked, but Allen still continued to get, like, drop kicks and high-flying moves and, some, and a springboard moonsault, I believe. Uh, but what happened, ultimately, uh, Jack Hagar showed up and punched out Allen, and Jericho uh, put the lock of the Lion Tamer to win the match, and then afterwards the Inner Circle celebrated in the ring with a little bit of the bubbly while the show went off. <laughs> about this main event, thought it was pretty fucking awesome. So on the hockey podcast, we have a thing called Hall of Fucking Awesome. Jericho entered the Hall of Fucking Awesome. He caught this guy every time. Forty-eight-year-old Jericho caught him on like seven dives with this guy's hands tied behind his back. This is Jericho. He's been wrestling since before I was born. <laughs> Like, think about that. It's true. Just like as a wrestling, he's catching this motherfucker. He can't. He doesn't have his hands out. This guy's just flying everywhere, and Jericho's just catching him. And, and granted, Darby Allen's not like Brock Lesnar size or anything, but look at like Charlotte Flair taking a moon, like doing a moonsault with with two people there. Most of the time, they don't catch her. She has to land on her feet. Jericho's catching this guy all over the place. So if you want to like. See something like I'm pretty sure Darby Allen learned more in this match than he's probably learned his entire indie career. That being said, uh, he did this gimmick in uh, PGW, and I've seen it before, um, but it was great, and it just really sucks for Orange Cassidy because he basically took Orange Cassidy's thing. Because now, like Orange Cassidy diving out of the ring with his hands in his pants, it's not going to be impressive. It's like. Darby Allen. Oh yeah, compared to the pop and drop. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree <laughs> with that. Yeah. Because he's choosing to put his hands in his pants. Like Darby Allen's literally getting beat, put in the lion lion tamer, <laughs> and shit. <laughs> Tate. Um, I did love that Jericho could have just beat him. Like there's no way that Darby Allen was gonna win that match, right? But he still cheated. <laughs> he still <laughs> had someone come out. And cheat for him. And the crowd booed. They booed Jericho. That's the key. <laughs> Dude, I love it when he feeds off the crowd and does the Hulk Hogan ear thing when they're booing him. That's genius. That's spinning something on its head. So good. It's not my – it's pretty good. My favorite Jericho move is when he was in Canada and Bret Hart had cancer and he was with uh, Kevin Owens. And there's a kid, there's a kid that had a get well soon Brett sign, and he just grabbed it and ripped it in half. That's the <laughs> ultra heat. <laughs> uh, all right, well we got a little bit of time. I do want to talk about NXT. I thought this was. Uh, here's the thing. I'm not going to expect to be shocked and awed by every episode of AEW and NXT because I think that what they do, both specifically by themselves, is better than what we're getting on Mondays and Fridays, which is supposed to be the biggest produced shows in wrestling. So both of these shows kind of were just continuing storylines and and not adding a bunch of different stuff. Kind of sucks, but we'll get down to it. Um, Basically, uh, what you call Velveteen Dream is legitimately injured, so him being taken out of this, was designed because he did get injured. So, uh, but we did have a cool match start off things. Um, Tommaso Ciampa made his in ring uh, uh, re debut, if you will, coming back, going against Angel Garza. 
Angel Garza didn't get a lot of offense. Uh, he Basically, when he tore off his pants, he threw them over at Ciampa, and then Ciampa just beat the living fuck out of him. Uh, he got pissed off. He was mud hole stomping. Uh, speaking about the mud hole stomping, I don't know if I just noticed this uh, or if it's just complete coincidence, but it seemed like he's adopting more brawling than doing some of the other stuff that he used to do. And I'm wondering, like Steve Austin from his neck injury, if he's having to adapt and change. Whatever he did, still good. Uh, after after the uh, the fucking him um, doing the mud hole stomping, he did a, a uh, just came running back and did a kick to Garza, which made him go outside and took the pants of Garza that was thrown at him and did the same thing to the pants, stomping on it and then doing that. Uh, you know, it's going to be really hard to make Tommaso Ciampa heal. Uh, on Pawn, Garza trying to enter the ring. Tommaso Ciampa got him with the Widow's Peak DDT. One, two, three. Ciampa wins. Then you had the Undisputed Era come out. They had something. They look, made it look like they were going to attack Ciampa and he was ready for him. And they went and gave a USB to Moronello to get to the back of them beating up Velveteen Dream and taking them out of the title picture for the North American title, which we just talked about. Chris, Dream's out. It's for real. They made it look like uh, Undisputed Era took him out. But we had a match where Tommaso Ciampa is back. How'd you like seeing the Sicilian psychopath back in the ring? All right. Well, I actually, I absolutely love Ciampa being back in the ring, but do you remember what the setup was for this week for Champa? Uh, they asked him, "What have you been thinking about since you had to relinquish the title <laughs> with your injury?" And then this dude just showed up, and then Champa beat him in five minutes, and he never answered the fucking question. And then I saw Velveteen Dream get beat. Which, so basically, I'm already out two matches. Um, but yeah, it's great seeing Ciampa back, and it sucks that Velveteen is injured. Like that super fucking sucks. I hope he's. They need. I him, hope man. he didn't tear his ACL or something. I hope it's just something minor, because that dude is a monster. And you know, I'll look up that info. I can find out exactly. So I'll just spit out this match, and you tell me how you felt about it. We had Imperium going against Oni Lorcan and Danny Birch, uh, Fabian Eichner, and Marcel Bartel. It was good. I mean, it wasn't anything too crazy. And then after that, we had a Johnny Gargano history of NXT, his whole entire rise. And I really feel like I could be wrong, but John Morrison is going to come and attack Johnny Gargano, and they're going to have a feud because I don't know what the hell they're doing with him. And I liked – I don't know if someone says this in the audience. I heard someone reviewing it. It seems like Johnny Gargano is to NXT what Tommy Dreamer was to ECW. Chris, what do you think about the Imperium versus uh, Lorcan and Birch match in the package for Johnny Wrestling? Clap, 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 up, clap. <laughs> I like the idea of uh, Johnny Gargano being the Tommy Dreamer of that very, very small place until Vince moves it to a different place. Um, no, nah, it makes a lot of sense. Johnny Gargano is great, and I love the idea of um, AKA Johnny Impact, AKA gimmick name, uh, fighting him. But man, I don't, I don't know. Gar- Gargano's hurt right now, right? So he can't actually wrestle. 
And uh, the Nitty Burch match was, it was fine. I mean, it was like, you know, it's what you would expect out of a tag match put in the spot it was. There was nothing, like, I can't think of anything special to write home about it on that match. Yeah. All right. Uh, so Brian Albers said that Velveteen Dream does have a real inju- uh, injury. Uh, nature of Dream's injury. Wait. Oh, so we don't even know. So Alvarez doesn't even know exactly what happened, but he was reported having a lumbar pain uh, beforehand, and that was a couple. That was reported a couple weeks ago. So possibly it could have something to do with that, Chris. Hey, Chris, I feel stupid. What's a lumbar? It's that lower spot above your ass in your back. Oh. You remember the lumbar support in chairs? It's yeah. Like your okay. If you're counting one, two, three in your spine up from your ass, it's like between two and three. Well, that's my happy zone. <laughs> well, right, not well, anymore probably... if you're Velveteen Dream. <laughs> well, that's probably what he heard. Um, all right, so we had a match between Io Shirai and Caden Carter, uh, who was formerly Lacey Lane. By the way, Kaden Carter's got a great look. She's awesome in the ring. Uh, I'm glad that she was able to get a little bit of offense. But Shirai won uh, inevitably by – what did she do to set it up? She looked like she fucking killed Kaden Carter because she – I forgot what setup move she did to her. It just looked nasty. She, she should have killed her faster, salt. but I know exactly what you're saying. <laughs> it's, she did something where it looked so damn painful, and then she did the moonsault, and it's like, you know – you can tell when a moonsault nails the shit out of someone as opposed to kind of, like, gliding over them. And Eo's amazing, but it just I, – I was like, Caden's got to be in fucking pain. Afterwards, she said that Bianca Belair doesn't deserve it. Rhea Ripley doesn't deserve it. She needs to be the next to face Shanna Baszler. And Rhea Ripley just came out and kind of punked her, just put her in her place a bit and said that, you know, if, if she ever utters her, her name out of her mouth, that she'll come and put her down, basically. So looks like we're going to have the three of those ladies going at it, and then the winner of that will probably be going against um, Shayna Baszler for the title. I'm going to still put in my, my uh, hopes, at least for Rhea Ripley, because I think she'd be a good person to replace Shayna Baszler. But EO's another person I think- that I could definitely see doing that. Yeah, you took it. I was going to say, I think Io is actually the person, if you're not going to pull the trigger on Bianca Belair. I think Bianca Belair is the better promo and is like a natural athlete that you could put the title on, um, who's kind of very underrated right now. But Io would be probably right up there, too. Yeah, man. I don't know. All three of those women, they have a really good women's division NXT. They definitely do. Uh, and we got to see more of that uh, later on. Uh, but anyways, we got a little bit of uh, Boa in the back doing some some fighting, uh, you know, getting ready for his match uh, later on. Um, then we had Real, William Regal coming out, letting us know that Velveteen Dream was injured and that the winner of the Dominic Dijakovic and Keith Lee match was going to be going for the U.S. title. Then that match happened. Keith Lee and uh, Dominic Dijakovic were trying to have their rubber match. They had a damn good match back and forth, doing a bunch of crazy shit like normally. He got interrupted by Roderick Strong, uh, thinking that he was going to eliminate, I guess, all the people uh, so he wouldn't have any competition. Well, Roddy, you're dumb. Now you've got to face both of those guys in a three-way for your title, which somehow you're probably still going to win. 
So uh, Regal, Regal got the fuck you on uh, on uh, Roderick Strong. But uh, how'd you feel about the Keith Lee, uh, Dominic Dijakovic match, and the fact that we got the ending uh, getting kiboshed, but now we're gonna get a three-way for the uh, North American title. I feel like announcers don't know how rubber matches work, where it's only three. Um, and also, it sucked because they promised us the match and we got a bullshit finish. But three-way match, pay-per-view, it should be pretty good. Yep. All right. Uh, Matt Riddle went against uh, Bronson Reed. This is probably the third time I've seen Bronson Reed. Um, one time was outside of this and evolved, and one was his first time in NXT uh, in that in that contest. And very impressive looking dude. I know that he's inspired by big guys from Earthquake to Samoa Joe. Um, but Riddle just showing off how fucking strong he is, Chris. Picking this guy up like it's nothing. Doing stuff like the uh, the Bro to Sleep and the friggin' Bro Derek, like you know, like he's not a giant dude, inevitably winning, uh, and a good win I guess for Bro Derek, uh, for, for Bro Derek, for uh, Matt Riddle, bro. But um, when's he going to be in the main title picture? Because that's really what I care about. I don't know, dude. He should already been in the main title picture. But that match was awesome. I'm like him deadlifting that guy into a German. Jesus. <laughs> this man is on roids. Drug test him immediately. <laughs> no shit. All right, so we had a Bianca Belair, uh, which you call it, uh, cut a promo on Rhea Ripley about their upcoming match. Maybe I'm getting it wrong. Maybe it's not going to be a three-way. Maybe it's going to be whoever wins that has to go against Io Shirai has to go against. We'll figure it out. Uh, but, yeah, there was that. Tegan Knox is back. Uh, her knees look like they're put together by nuts and bolts, which I know they are. She's got a friggin' leg brace on her leg brace, and I hope nothing happens to her. And that's the one thing about seeing someone come back like a Daniel Bryan with their neck or this situation. It's like you don't want to see the same thing fucking happen to them. But uh, she won with the uh, world's shiniest wizard, which I think is a cute little nickname she puts for that. Uh, and then she had Shayna Baszler come out and kind of punk her out, saying that they were gonna, she was gonna beat her ass. So it looks like we're gonna get that match. Um, and Dakota Kai is kind of positioned as her tag team partner going forward uh, because both of them have leg braces. Chris, uh, what do you think about this match and setup for Tegan Knox going against uh, what's gonna call Shayna Baszler for the title? I'm assuming next week or sometime on NXT television. I think Tegan can be an absolute star, but she needs to get rid of that finisher because that's a heel-ass finisher when you got giant goddamn leg braces. No shit. <laughs> You're just hitting a shining wizard on a dude's head. That's like the most heel thing you could do, honestly. It's like, let me put this metal brace into this person's face. Um, I also thought it was really shitty that they didn't let her talk at all, and she kind of just got buried by Shayna. Because Shannon came out and was like, yeah, well, you ain't won shit, so you ain't getting a title match, so fuck off. And just left. <laughs> uh, sub, subtitles. <laughs> How I read that. But, I mean, like, if Tegan Knox is supposed to be a big star, they didn't really land it for me. No. One, one person that I think with NXT is considered a big star is Finn Balor. And uh, he had a little package, and that next week will be – him back on NXT, and he's found his heart with NXT, stuff like that. Just get the fucking demon going on, man. Sorry. Anyways. 
Our last did match is kind of actually going to be there from the beginning of the show when they were like, and words from Finn Balor. I thought yeah. he was going to like show up and do his whole. Okay. All right. At least I'm don't ever, crazy because I was. Yeah. Don't ever fucking tell us that someone's going to be there if it's just going to be a package. Just tell us that there's words and we have a video for it or some shit. I hate that. Yeah. Okay. Because Mara was pushing that shit very, very hard. Ooh, we got later on Finn Balor. Uh, so we had uh, Killian Dane coming out against Boa. I mean, he just beat the living okay. shit out of him. The biggest thing was going into the next match, which I think we're positioning Killian Dane to go against Pete Dunne, uh, because he got in Pete Dunne's face, Pete Dunne broke his fingers, and then went against uh, Damian Priest. They're trying to build Damian Priest, so he got a big win against Pete Dunne. Priest hit Dunne with the low blow when the referee couldn't see it, then hit the reckoning for the win. He does... He does the outsider's edge as, like, his signature. That should be his finisher. And the reckoning, which seems like just a wheelbarrow suplex, very similar to fucking the rude awakening or, or whatever Elias does, it just it's, – it's not it's, as pizzazz his, as his, the outsider's edge. His, just do that. His finisher is, his finisher is crossroads. Like, okay, yeah, it's crossroads. That's what it's, it is. He's just doing Cody's gimmick. The 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 waterfall. What did they call it? The waterfall. They didn't call it the Razor's Edge, even though they own the rights to like Razor Remote, which is ridiculous. You just call it the Razor's Edge. They call it uh, Splash Splash Mountain. That's what they call that. Um, that should be your finisher because that shit looks brutal as hell. Um, even though it's not as, it's like it's not the worst move you could take, but Jesus, uh, Damian Priest, terrible fucking name. Still on that. Um, Good match the, with match. them. I thought, I thought it was a really good match. Uh, obviously, they got something they planned for him. Um, and the, the crowd hated when he hit Pete Dunne in the nuts. So Pete Dunne is, is pretty over. Um, I don't know what else I can say about I mean, I don't know. It, it was fine. That match went – I mean, that match started like – 10 minutes before AEW went off the air and then went like five minutes longer and then it just ended in like kind of a fuck finish like a Dusty Rhodes finish like oh I kicked him in the nuts so boom I got him uh, yep yeah so I mean the match itself was really really well worked I mean Pete Dunne has Pete Dunne had a bad match on NXT <laughs> I have to go back and look, no. at, look at He's another one, man. He always puts on good matches. He's he's always, yeah. Um, so before we go, I thought I'd make comment, guys. And I mean, I watched this last night. I I forgot more that happened on fucking SmackDown than I did on stuff that I watched on fucking Tuesday and Wednesday. So, I just think that if you're gonna up your game, I know they probably took huge hit in ratings. Which some of it, I mean. It's going to be really interesting when they go to FS1 next week when they're competing with their actual Fox network uh, with the World <laughs> Series on that. Um, but if there wasn't a lot that happened. I really would have put in a lot more into this show since this is like right after the draft, your first SmackDown show. I will say I think the biggest news, because I'm looking at this, Shorty Gable is now officially Shorty G. Cool. I liked his promo afterwards. It kind of sucks that it has to be around the fact that he's short. Bailey probably should have done a better promo, but she's never been that great at it. Uh, with hers, it was fine. <laughs> I like Drew Gulak taking back the. I like Drew Gulak taking back the PowerPoint. That was kind of funny. If they position Drew Gulak to somehow 
meant to try to like become Braun's manager. I think that would be really fucking funny, but I hope he's now not just in this instead of NXT to get his ass kicked and be a fucking enhancement talent because I'll hate that. And the tag match at the end was fine. I mean, Roman Reigns is now your, your person leading the charge for Hulk Hogan. By the way, another thing. We're going to have an interview with Hulk Hogan later. Skype interview pre-recorded. Are you kidding me? Do you guys not know technology? Chris, any comments before we try to go over the biggest news, which is Eric Bischoff being gone and Bruce Prichard being in? Wait, are we talking – are we going to talk to Hulk Hogan later? <laughs> no, we're not going to talk to Hulk Hogan later. Damn it. <laughs> I want to ask him about the time he lied about the Undertaker dropping him on his neck. That would have really pissed him off. Um, <laughs> all jokes aside, fuck Hogan. Um, <laughs> yeah, SmackDown was terrible. <laughs> the draft was weird. Um, that Saudi Arabia show is going to suck. If you're telling me you're going to teach Tyson Fury how to wrestle in three weeks... That kind of shits on people like AJ Styles that's been doing it for 13 years. Let's go for that. Um, Brock's awesome. I don't even remember if he was on the show, but he should be. I don't think he was. (laughs) (laughs) What did you think about uh, Bailey and Chad Gable's uh, promos? Or the fact that Kofi was just smiles and smiles, never addressing him losing outside the fucking tag match. All right, so one, you're – a legitimate Olympic athlete break this dude's arm for calling you shorty. One that I mean, all he has to do is break dude's arms, like Kamara Lockham or something. That's it. You yeah, can make this guy the next Chris, Chris Benoit. You can make him the next Benoit or freaking Kurt Angle, and they're making him the next uh, rest in peace, but Crash Holly for Christ's fucking sakes. Yeah, like fuck. I don't even want to talk about that. And then what was the other one? <laughs> Real quick before Bailey's we go. promo her. Bailey's a heel promo, if you will. Oh, she's a heel now? I thought she was a heel <laughs> when she joined Sasha Banks. Was that not a thing? Uh, she got a haircut. Damn, bro. Son? Yeah. Did I miss two That's pretty much how I feel. Or something? Like, no, I don't didn't. give a shit. I don't. You missed, the, you missed the fucking boat. The boat was to have her turn heel against Sasha. You fucked it up. You put him in the tag team. No one gives a shit. Sorry, WWE. It sucks. It sucks. All right. And, you know, like we said, we're just honest with our opinions, guys. You know, we just we, we have to give that to you. If you don't like it, you know, just try to address me like I said on my Twitter account if you weren't paying attention earlier. Um, but, yeah, I think the last thing I will say before we head out of here, we got like three minutes left. I, I think a lot of us saw this coming with Eric Bischoff. I don't know what the fuck he was really doing there to begin with. I feel bad for him because I feel like he was literally kind of like, you know, what Brian Alvarez said, that he was probably going to be their scapegoat later on if the ratings weren't good. I didn't think it was going to be like this quickly. Um, I know that he still has his place in, I believe, Wyoming. So he was he was renting out. And apparently, Chris, you're not supposed to uh, give up your um, – or, or whatchamacallit, try to spend the nighttime with your wife afterwards, and that kind of fucked him over a bit. But Bruce Pritchard, his, one of his best friends, is taking over now as head writer, and I'm still scared. Even if Paul Heyman's there and Bruce Pritchard's on the other one, this is still in charge of it, and it shows. And I don't think they did that great of a show without Eric Bischoff. I kind of feel bad for him, but at the same time, I have no idea what the fuck he was doing there to begin with. Chris, give us a couple words on it. 
Um, we got 60 seconds, but, you know, close out and tell everyone that you love them. Irrelevant. Vince McMahon rewrote most of the SmackDowns he was there for, and he didn't write anything. Hey, hit me up at Chris R. Patton on Facebook, Christopher.R.Patton, and uh, listen to my hockey podcast. Love you guys. Yep, check that out, and check us out, guys, Saturdays and Wednesdays, Wrestling Geeks Alliance, geekvibesnation.com. Thank you so much, and have a wonderful weekend. Peace out, guys, and let the Geek Fives be with you.